Hello everyone, welcome to the Warif podcast, a place for dialogue on development that promotes social, economic and environmental progress. My name is Abir and I'm your host. It's my joy to connect with fellow developmental professionals, practitioners, academics and enthusiasts. My mission is to make the world a more kind, safe and clean place. I believe even small steps in the right direction can cause a chain reaction towards larger positive impact. Let's meet our guests and learn how they're working towards a better world. Our guest today needs no introduction. He is Mr. Olivier Saibani. Mr. Olivier Saibani is a professor, author and advisor specializing in the quality of strategic thinking and the design of decision processes. Olivier Saibani is a professor of strategy in the edu- educational track at HEC Paris, where he was awarded the Verminin Teaching Award in 2020. He is also an associate fellow of Said Business School in Oxford University. He has taught at London Business School, Ecole Polytechnique, alongside many other, other institutions all over the world. Previously, he spent 25 years with McKinsey and Company in France and the US, where he was a senior partner. There, he was at various times a leader of the global strategy practice of the customers or consumers, goods and retail sector. Olivier's latest book, Noise, A Flow in Human Judgment, co-authored with Daniel Kehenman and Cass uh, Sunstein, has appeared on multiple bestseller lists worldwide including the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and Sunday Times list. His previous book, You're About to Make a Terrible Mistake, was awarded at the 2019 Manpower Foundation Grand Prize for Best Management Book of the Year and is translated into multiple languages. He is also the co-author of Crack It, How to Solve Big Problems and Sell Solutions Like Top Strategy Consultants, and the contributor to the 2019 magazine, which is a best-selling French language strategies textbook. In addition, he has published numerous scientific articles in peer-reviewed journals, such as uh, Strategy Science, Long Range, Planning Research in Economics, and in particular, oriented publications, such as Harvard Business Review, McKinsey Quarterly, MIT Sloan Management Review, California Management Review. Olivier builds on his research and experience to advise senior leaders on strategic and operational decision-making. He is a frequent keynote speaker and facilitator of top management and board meetings. He also serves as a member of corporate advisory and investory or investment boards. Olivier Saibini is a graduate of HEC Paris and holds a PhD from the University Paris Dauphine. Uh, he is a knight in the French Order of the Légion d'Honneur. He is married and the father of two children. Olivier lives in Paris. Welcome, Olivier, to this episode. We're very happy to have you. Thank you very much, Abby. It's my pleasure. So uh, let's kick start. So I would like you to tell us more about Olivier. Who is Mr. Sibony? What don't we know about you? Well, I mean... <laughs> There's a lot of things you don't know about me, I'm sure, and, uh, and I'm not sure you want to know about them. Um, what, what you should know about me uh, for the purposes of this conversation, I guess, is a little bit of a background story. I, I am writing today, and I'm privileged to be writing with some of the, the great specialists, you, you name them, uh, of judgment and error in judgment. But I'm coming from a perspective, as you briefly mentioned, of being someone who works with practitioners of decision-making, with people who make big business decisions. And from the privileged position of being a management consultant, you can actually observe how those decisions are made and what goes wrong in the way they are made and what goes wrong in the outputs. Now, of course, not all of them go wrong, thank God, but some of them go wrong. And what is striking is that for some of them, as an observer, as someone who is witnessing the decision process, you actually see the train wreck coming. You can see Mm. the decision in the making where you think, well, this is a crazy decision, but this person who is in charge is going to make it anyway. 
And what I always found fascinating when I was a consultant is that when I was saying this person is going to make it anyway, this person was not stupid. This person was a great business person, was someone yeah. who had an impressive career. And, yeah. and what fascinated me and keeps fascinating me is how do extremely good people sometimes make terrible mistakes? It's not surprising that bad people would make mistakes, right? I mean, <laughs> that's, that's nothing to be surprised about. But in principle, bad people shouldn't make it to the top of organizations and, and governments and countries. And when they are there, we have to assume that they're good enough people. They've been selected to be good. And yet, sometimes they make crazy decisions. That's what I've always been intrigued by. And that's what I'm trying to study now. And, you know, they always say leadership is always tested in hard times, right? Yes. Uh, obviously, leadership is, is tested in hard times. Good decision-making capacity is always tested in, in hard times and in hard times and difficult decisions. No, I think when people say that, they, they tend to underestimate a bit the randomness of outcomes. Uh, he, what I mean by this is that when people in good time have good results, we tend to assume that it's because they have made the right decisions. It could just be because it's in good times, <laughs> because they are lucky to be living in good times. I'll give you a silly example, but one that struck me uh, very much in my, in my early years as a consultant. I was working mostly in the consumer goods industry. And that's a very tough, competitive industry with lots of great companies hiring very smart people. And those companies compete fiercely against each other. The market is not growing very fast because consumer demand in, in mature markets is essentially flat. Uh, the market is price sensitive. So it takes very good people to compete there. At the same time, the mobile phone industry was booming because it was new. People were acquiring their first mobile phones and their first mm. mobile phones. Mm. And I kept seeing people who left the consumer goods industry, my clients typically, or you know, people competing with my clients, leaving the consumer goods industry and going to the mobile phone industry and having brilliant careers there that clearly they mm. were not destined to have in their consumer goods companies where they were regarded as okay, but not brilliant people, not people with a great future. And this, this is just an anecdote, but I think that you know, it, it has a, a general meaning, which is that where you play and whether you, you have you know, tailwinds supporting you or pushing you, makes a big difference to success. It's true in careers, it's true for companies, it's true for industries. And we, we tend to forget it and to attribute success or failure to the qualities of a single individual. Let's hmm. not forget that you know, it helps to be lucky. Yeah, exactly. I never thought of it this way. Sometimes people are harsh on leaders you know, who do big mistakes. Sometimes external factors play a huge role. As you said, it's luck. It's the external factor that plays a huge role in the, you know, the, the outcome of, of, of the decision of the decision maker, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there, and there are situations in business where if someone makes a mistake, it is to try because they are going to fail anyway because the odds are stacked against them. There, exactly. there are businesses, there are industries that are you know, essentially doomed. You can... You can try to prolong their life. You know, but I, you fail forward, right? Yeah, I, I like you know, the, the way Warren Buffett once put it, which is when a manager for reputation for being a great manager meets a company with a reputation for being a lousy company or an industry with a reputation for being a lousy industry, usually it is the reputation of the industry that remains intact. You, you can be a great manager, but if you play at a game where it's impossible to win, you're going to lose. So and can you tell us what, what industries are, can we word it, lousy industries? What could be considered as a lousy industry today? Well, the... the if, if in the post-COVID era. Well, it's, in the post-COVID era, it's hard to tell because it's, it's too soon. But you know, a classic way of thinking about this problem is to analyze the structure of industries, the, 
the way uh, Michael Porter has uh, has written about, and the way we teach our students in strategy that you should do. And you know, while while there are some disputes about the relevance of this, it still remains directionally true that some industries have a lot of things stacked against them, and others have a lot of tailwinds. So take, for instance, the, the, the classic example would be the airline industry. There are very few companies that have made any money in airlines over the past 20 or 30 years. Of course, from time to time, I you didn't know that. You will find one that succeeds. But as a whole, the yeah. airline industry is an awful industry to compete in. At the other extreme, the luxury goods industry, there are lots of players. Not all of them make money, but... If you look at the total value creation of the industry, it's pretty good because the structural forces at work in the luxury industry make it a more attractive place to play. There is more pricing power. Consumers are less price sensitive. Competition is not based on price. Uh, your suppliers do not have a lot of power over you. It's difficult to be a new entrant in the industry if you don't have a very old brand or, or some other uh, high assets that, that are necessary to enter the market. So for all kinds of reasons that are that have to do with the structure of the industry, it's easier to create value in some industries than in others. That's a, that's a general idea. What is true for industries is also true for people. And so when we see someone being successful in an industry where it's easier to be successful, we should remember that, you know, of course, it's probably someone great, but it's easier <laughs> to succeed when it's easier for everybody than when it's hard for everybody. Of course, when the external circumstances help as well. So I want to tell you that I read your book, Noise. It's yes. pretty much very interesting. I bought it from Dawn Books in London. And I have a quick question. What is noise? Like, how do you define noise? So, yeah, let's let's start there because it's, um, it's a familiar concept in statistics. And some people may have heard about it, but we are using it in a specific sense here. We define noise as variability in judgments that we would like not to be variable, unwanted variability in human judgments. When judgments are different between people or judgments are different within the same person at different times, and we mm -hmm. think there is no good reason for them to be different, that's noise. I'll give you an example. Actually, I'll give you an example that is not an example Please. of judgment because it makes it easier to, to follow. If I have a scale in my bathroom and I weigh myself in the morning, which I do, and I know that I do that scale, too, uh, by the way, and every a lot morning. Of people do, that's what you <laughs> do. Um, and I happen to know that my scale, on average, is a little bit too generous. And you, on average, I've, I've compared the weight it gives me to my true weight measured by a precision scale. And I know that it's too generous by one kilo. It gives me a weight that on average is one kilo lighter than I truly am. What I should do is every time I look at the scale, I step on the scale, I should say, well, I should add one kilo to that because that's the bias of the scale. That's what we call a bias. It's an average error. In all, in, in all its measurements- Even the scale is biased? The scale is biased. Yeah. The, the scale has a bias, a, a measurement instrument uh, can have a bias, and that's actually the definition of a bias in measurement, is the average error. So if my scale on average is wrong by minus one kilo, that's a bias. But then if I step on the scale three times, as I did this morning, and I get three different readings, as I did this morning, it's not because my weight has changed from one moment to the next. It's because my scale is adding an error to its average error on each yeah weighting on each measurement, there is a random error that adds up to the average error. That random error is noise. And if you want to know in any given measurement, in any time I look at the number on my scale, what the error is between that, and, and the error is the difference between that number and my true weight, that difference, that error breaks down into two components, the average error, which is the bias, and yes. A random error, which is the noise. Now, applies this to a problem of judgment, yeah. and you're going to see that it works just the same way. Suppose that we have 100 economic forecasters who are trying to forecast what the GDP growth is going to be in a country next year. 
And on average, their forecast is that it's going to be 5% because we're booming post-COVID, et cetera. We wait one year, we look at what it actually was, and we find that it was only 4%. So we can say, on average, the forecasters had an optimistic bias. They thought it would be five. In fact, it was only four. That is a bias. On average, there is an error, and in this case, mm. positive. But mm. if I look at each one of the forecasters, they are not giving the same answer. They are not all saying it's going to be 5%. Some are saying six. Some are saying three. Some are saying five and a half, etc. That variability of the errors between the forecasters is noise. And noise, and that's the point of the book, is important. It's actually as important as bias, if not more important. It creates error in the same way as bias does. And it creates injustice, unfairness, and inequality in the same way that bias does. And that's why we think we should think and worry a lot more about it. So I want to ask you something, uh, like what's the main idea? This is the title of the book, but what's the main theme of uh, the book Noise? The main theme is that when we think about how we make decisions and judgments, there mm -hmm. has been a lot of attention given to bias. And of course, it's important because bias does matter. But we should also realize that a big component of error is that random error called noise. The good news about it is that we can actually do something about noise. We can reduce noise. We can put in place measures to make better decisions by tamping down the noise. And if we do that, we will make much better decisions. Is noise like too much data? Is it a component of noise? It's having too much data or having a lot of data, is one of the factors that will lead to more noise. Let, let's take the extreme. Let's suppose that you only have one piece of information. If yeah. I tell you, for instance, you have to make a forecast about how well a student will perform at university, and the only piece of data I give you is that this student has an IQ of 145, you know, a, a super high IQ. Okay. Now, if I ask you to make a forecast about what grade this person is going to have on average in university, you're going to predict a very high grade. And I'm going to predict a very high grade as well. And if you ask 100 people, they're probably going to be pretty unanimous in predicting a very high grade. When there is only one piece of information, there is not a lot of noise because it's easy to match what you're trying to predict. In, in my example, a university grade to the single piece of information you have. As soon as you have two pieces of information, it gets difficult. Suppose I tell you this student has an IQ of 145, but he has been in treatment for mental health problems over the past year. Mm. Now, you may say, well, I predict that the grade is still going to be very high, but you might also say, I predict that the grade is going to be mediocre or low, and some people are going to go one way, other pe people are going to go the other way. Because as soon as you have... And that's the bias. No, yeah. it's, it's the noise. It's, the, it's noise. the fact that different people will give different answers based on the same information is largely mm. unpredictable. I cannot predict if you, Abir, are going to give one answer or another. If I submit this problem to 100 people, I have no idea in which direction their answers are going to go. And I cannot predict for each person in which direction their answers are going to go unless I know a lot about these people and it's probably more than can be known. So it's essentially an unpredictable variability that comes from the way different people will process the same data. And the more data there is, here I've given you an example with just two pieces of information and you see that we already generate a lot of noise. Yes. The more data there is, the more room there will be for people to latch on to different pieces. Of and the make judgments based on the noise. Make, That's exactly, what you're saying, and make, right? And make judgments yeah. based on one piece of information, choosing to uh, pick one and discount the other, or pick the other and discount the one, or do a sort of mix of the two. And you can see that this is going to be all over the place. That's noise. 
So if with just two pieces, we get this amount of noise, imagine what it is in the real world where we have a lot of data. We don't just have you know, two pieces of information, we have a lot. You were asking about too much data. Well, I don't know how much too much is. The world is a complicated place and we do get a lot of data and we do need a lot of data. The problem is how do we use it to try to make decisions that aren't... Yeah, compartmentalize it, you know, I feel like it's like we have so many tabs open in our minds, right? This is the noise. There's so many tabs open in the mind. There are you, multiple yeah. ways, yeah, I mean, that's a very good way to put it. There are multiple ways to look at and process all the potential pieces of information that we get. And given all these ways to process it, given all these options there is going to be a lot of variability in how different people process the information. There is also going to be, by the way, a lot of variability, and this is you know, less well-known and probably more intriguing, in how the same person processes the same information with exactly the same data, with the two pieces of information I gave you about that student, IQ and mm. mental health issues, you might give me a different answer tomorrow evening than mm. you give me this morning, depending on yeah. what you mm. just read, what you just talked about, what mood. In general, were. like what I read in the newspaper, for example, it could affect my decision, for example. If you just read a story in the newspaper about you know, how mental health issues among students are on the rise and are affecting their academic success, that might make you give more weight to that piece of information than you otherwise would have. Hmm. If you've just read something about how important IQ is and how good a predictor of academic success it is, well, it would pull you in the opposite direction. And there is no telling for any given person what comes to mind at the time they make a decision. So there is a lot of within-person variability as well in, hmm. in how they, they weight the information. Hmm. So Olivier, tell us, how does noise differ from biases? So it differs in a very simple way, which is that bias is shared, it's predictable, it's directional, and yeah. noise is none of those things. If I say, for instance, that you, know, you and I and 98 other people have to make a forecast of how long it's going to take us when we are asking someone to repaint our kitchen, it's you know, a fair, it's a, it, it's a reasonable guess that most of the 100 people that we are are going to underestimate the time it takes. The, the direction of error in a project like this, where we are in charge of a project and we try to predict how long it's going to take, we, we know pretty well that there is a bias there. And the bias is that people tend to underestimate the time needed. It tends, tends to take longer than they think. Of course, there will be the occasional person who is very, very prudent and who overestimates the time and has a good surprise, but we know that's going to be a minority and the majority of people are going to be wrong in the opposite direction. That's a bias because it's a predictable error. Contrast this with the example I was giving you a moment ago, where I was telling you there is going to be a lot of dispersion in this data. We don't know for mm. any given person which way they are going to go. And mm. in this example, we don't know who is right and who is wrong, but in the example of forecasting, I don't have a very easy way of knowing which forecasters are going to be optimists and which forecasters are going to be pessimists. And all the ones who are optimists, which ones are going to be more optimistic than the others and which ones are going to be less optimistic than average. That's apparently random. Of course, everything has a cause somewhere, but it, it is as good as random from a practical standpoint. And for that reason, we can call it noise. I'll ask you the famous question I asked you a few days ago. What mm -hmm. is um, the opposite of noise and what is the antidote of noise? Because I want the listeners to like tell, listen to the answer you gave me. It was really quite oh. interesting. Yeah. So the, the opposite of noise is, would be the absence of variability. It would be that Everyone who looks at a problem has the same answer, and every person who looks at a problem gives the same answer at different points in time. That's what you get when the problem is not one of judgment, but a simple problem on which we expect everybody to agree. 
if I ask you how much is two plus two, you're going to tell me it's four, and every sensible person I ask is going to tell me it's four. And if I ask you again tomorrow evening or, or next week on, on a Friday morning, you're also going to tell me that two plus two is four. There is no noise there because it's not a problem of judgment. We wouldn't say that deciding how much is two plus two is a problem of judgment. That's a question on which we expect all reasonable people to agree perfectly. The problem of judgment is by definition one where we regard disagreement as acceptable, where we think that it's okay for reasonable people to disagree. That's the definition of a problem of judgment. So the opposite of noise is what you would find in a problem that isn't a problem of judgment. We, we say in noise that wherever there is judgment, there is noise, and probably more of it than you think. And that's, in fact, intrinsic to the definition of judgment. So that's the answer to your first question. What is the opposite of noise? The opposite of noise is to, to be in a situation where there is no noise because it's actually not a problem of judgment. Now, what is the antidote to noise is a different question because here you're asking if it is a problem of judgment, if it is a situation in which I expect different people to disagree, different reasonable people to disagree, how do I reduce the amount of disagreement to a manageable level? The problem of noise is not that there is disagreement between people. We fully expect that there is going to be disagreement between people in a problem of judgment. The problem is that this disagreement is much larger than we think, is much, in, in some of the examples that we've looked at, is five times larger than people expect. And that we never seem to realize it and, and therefore to do something about it. The implication is that we should ideally define mm -hmm. what is a tolerable amount of noise, what is an acceptable level of noise, a, a level that from a practical and uh, from, from, from a practical standpoint in an organization we would be able to tolerate. And we should try to put in place noise reduction measures that bring down the noise to that level. That's what we, we argue the aspiration should be in any organization. It's not to eliminate noise completely because that is impossible in a problem of judgment unless you, you replace human judgment with the machine, which is another approach. As long as it's a problem of judgment, you're always going to have noise. Your aim should be to put in place measures that reduce the amount of noise and bring it down to an acceptable level. Hmm. So speaking about people and how noise affects people and artificial intelligence, so wh why do you think it's important to pay attention to noise, like uh, in the sense, how can noise affects, uh, affect us all as scientists, as employees, as parents? What kind of effects is, is it starting to have on society? Well, it's not that it's starting to have an effect. It, it's that it has had a large effect on society and we've been unaware of it. And we're trying to bring attention to that. You're asking, how does it affect us all? It noise affects us, for instance, as patients when we see doctors. When, when a doctor looks at the patient, or to take an even simpler example, because there is the same data there, when, when two doctors look at the same um, X-ray image or mammogram or angiogram that has been taken from a given patient, they don't always see the same things and draw the same conclusions. That is disturbing. We're not necessarily aware of it. When we ask for a second opinion, we ask for a second opinion because we expect it might be different from the first one, but we don't realize that when we do not ask for a second opinion, we're only getting the first opinion. And it's, in fact, quite mm. different from what the second opinion might be. Everything is relative based on noise. Well, everything is subject to noise. Relative is another Subjective. issue. But, but everything yes, yeah. is less determined and less certain than, than we assume it to be. You know, e even expert judgments, like the judgments of doctors, are noisier than we, than we think in the sense that a different doctor or the same doctor at a different time might, in fact, mm. give a different judgment. As, Interesting. Um, as citizens, we should be uh, concerned about the way justice operates. 
Mm. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, there's a lot of evidence in in in, in research, and we cite a lot of it in the book that justice, yeah, is in fact a lot more rentable. the most effective sector. I think by noise. I think yes. Well, it's. I'm not sure it's the most effective, but it's one on which we we actually have some evidence. So so we talk about it, and one where it's especially shocking. If mm. you if you look at how different judges evaluate the severity of the same case, as in, you know, how many years in prison should we send this person, right? When, yeah. on average, the answer is seven years, so when the average of 200 judges say the just sentence for this person would be seven years in prison, the sentences range from almost nothing to very, very long, and if you picked two judges at random in the sample, the average difference between them would be nearly four years. Of course, we all want justice to be tailored to the circumstances of every case and every defendant, right? We don't want it to be mechanical. So we want a human being to appreciate the circumstances of each case and to make a considered and thoughtful judgment about the case and the person who's been convicted and how the sentence is going to play out and all those things. But I don't think mm. anyone wants, I don't think anyone finds it desirable for the sentence mm. to depend to such a degree on the lottery that designates which judge is going to pass the sentence. That mm. is not intended by any legislator or a, or, or, or founding father yeah. who, who wrote a constitution, that's a yeah. byproduct of our desire to have human intervention in those judgments. And it begs the question of how can we keep the human intervention, of course, because I don't think anyone wants all judges to be replaced by machines, but also- Yeah, of course, there has to be empathy, you know, and compassion, I guess, yeah. Of course, but also we-, we we want impartial uh, and impartial justice decisions. That's the no, thing. Impartial yeah. is, is an important consideration. That would be the absence of a bias against the accused. But note that... Note is it attainable? Of, well, again, the total absence of noise is not attainable unless you automate the decision and you take human judgment out of it entirely. The reduction okay. in noise is... Or you sit like a monk in a mountain, maybe, right? Even that is not going to help. <laughs> the, mm -hmm. the reduction of noise in judicial decisions is attainable and, in yeah. fact, was attained in the U.S. When, um, Interesting. when guidelines were put in place by Congress to mm -hmm. determine for federal sentencing what elements should be taken into account by the judge, how much they should be taken into account, and therefore, for each uh, particular crime, what the sentence should be. And the judge then had uh, leeway to uh, move by 25% or six months up or down from that prescribed sentence. That's a way to... Exactly. There's a guideline. Yeah. It's a guideline. Like right? It still leaves yeah. some room to the judge to differentiate between individual cases. It also yes. left, by the way, um, the judge free to override the guidelines and to say, look, I think the guidelines in this case are not appropriate and I'm prepared to justify my decision in writing to an appellate judge. So that was a possibility. Yes. Still, yeah. that worked very well to reduce noise. It, it made sentences less mm -hmm. variable. Uh, and so it reduced the element of arbitrariness uh, that is inherent in human judgment. For reasons entirely technical and unrelated to, to the debate we're having now, those guidelines were uh, removed. I mean, they were left in place, but they are purely advisory. They are not, uh, the judges do not need to abide by them. And mm -hmm. the noise returned. When, as soon as the guidelines mm. were advisory, uh, the, mm. the noise came back. And, um, and we still have a lot of noise in that system because judges have regained their power to make essentially 
unconstrained, unfettered decisions. Interesting. So um, I wanted to ask you, what are the long-term benefits of paying attention to noise? So the long-term, and in fact, even the short-term benefits are uh, very simple. You make better decisions. Mm. The thing that we do not easily realize, because it's not very intuitive, is that noise affects your decisions, affects error, exactly as much and in the same manner as does bias. I'll give you a very simple example, again, from the judicial world. I was mm. talking to a judge one day who, uh, Interesting. Was me, uh, who, who was telling me, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, but there is nothing we can do about it because that's how we make judicial decisions. There is one judge and there is one person and you need to- And which to school is that? Which, judge, uh, which judicial school is that? Was it the French or the English one? This was talking... a, in that case, it was a French judge, but we, we, okay. we could be having that conversation with, with, with the judge anywhere. This lady with any telling... judge. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This yeah. lady was telling me, uh, look, there is nothing we can do about it because you know, when, when I make a decision, I'm one judge. I, I have to make the decision individually. I'm looking at one case and each case is different. And I asked her, look, if I told you that the same person is getting, you know, that, that two people who are identical in the crime they have committed are getting for one one year and for the other two years in prison because one is white and the other is black. Would that be acceptable? And she said, no, of course not. That's bias. It's entirely unacceptable and we should do everything we can to fight it. And of course, she's right. And then I asked her, and if one person gets one year because that person is judged by you, but another person who is identically situated gets two years, because they are judged by the judge next door, you find this entirely acceptable. And that got her thinking. You know, that got her thinking, why do we think of noise in the second example? So she was affected and she uh, actually agreed with you. Well, she, she was, yeah. and it's, it's not that she can change it with, with a magic wand. There isn't you know, an, an easy solution to that problem. But first we need to realize that it's a problem. And we tend to brush it off. We tend to say, well, it's a fact of life that people have different opinions and that they have different judgments. And we, so, some people even celebrate it and say, it's beautiful, it's great, it makes us human. And yes, of course, we will make mistakes from time to time, but that's a fact of life. And what we're saying really is quite simple. No, it's not a fact of life. We don't have to resign ourselves to living in a world of noisy decisions because noisy decisions are full of errors. If you get two years instead of one because you are black instead of white, we find it unacceptable and we should. If you get two years instead of one because you got the wrong judge or the judge was in a bad mood and you should have gotten one, we should find it just as unacceptable. And it does create error in exactly the same way. Mm, interesting. Going back to cultures, can noise be seen cross-culturally? And if so, is this an issue that every nearly, like every culture sees? Or like, does it differ from every culture to the other? Within each group, whether it's a national culture or an organization, you will find noise. You will find different people who, despite everything that they share in, in their culture, yeah. you know, organizational or national or uh, of whatever group they belong to, despite all they share, their judgments will be different. We tend to focus, when, we're, when we talk about cultural differences, we tend to focus on the averages. So the, mm. the average would be the equivalent of a bias, right? If we, if we find an average difference in how people in one country behave relative to another, another country, we're going yeah. to say that's a cultural difference, yeah. it's a bias. Noise is in the variability around that difference. Within a given culture, people have different behaviors, different personalities, and different judgments on any given question. That's the noise. Now, if you take a cross-cultural group, the implication is that you're going to have more noise when you take a cross-cultural group than you have in a, a homogeneous cultural group, which depending on how you deal with it, may be a bad thing or a very good thing. Hmm. 
But can you say like people from, for example, Asia are less biased and less have less noise than people in, for example, the like, I don't know, wherever in the U.S.? I don't think you can say that about bias um, because we don't have the empirical evidence to say it. At least I'm not aware of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and you certainly cannot say that about noise because you can't say that people are noisy. It's not the people who are noisy. It's uh, the noise is the statistical phenomenon that emerges in a group. It's when you look at a group of people and their judgments are heterogeneous, they are different, and you estimate that they should be identical, you can say there is noise in that group. It's not one person who is noisy and one person who is noisier than another. Mm. It's that when we look at a group, we find variability and we find noise. Interesting. So I'm going to shift the narrative now to the importance of uh, metaphorical silence. So what kind of benefits would we see if we could silence the noise, in your opinion? Well, take the example, to simplify a bit, there's two benefits. In areas where there is a true judgment that we're trying to approach, you're going to reduce error. So if you have two doctors who look at the same x-ray and they give you different readings, at least one of them is wrong. There is an error there and a patient. Or maybe both wrong. of them are wrong. Maybe both of them, <laughs> but at least at least yeah. one must be wrong. Yeah. We cannot all be right. Is that a probability or a possibility? No, that's a certainty. If we if we if there okay. is a correct answer and we don't agree on it, yeah. we can't all be right. That is, you know, that is a, a logical certainty. It's not it's not a probability. If there is a correct answer and we don't agree on it, if, if there is a correct answer and there is noise, then reducing yeah. noise, all things being equal, and as long as you don't increase the bias, will reduce error. So uh, is this going to lead to more jobs given more, out more fairly? Like, would students have better grades? Would jail sentences be more equal? So that's the other case, because you when, when, when you try to decide whether a few pixels on, on, on an x-ray are a tumor, there is a truth there, and we want to reduce noise in order to make fewer mistakes in getting to the truth. When we're making a forecast, a GDP forecast, for instance, there is going to be a truth. If we have fewer people who disagree and less disagreement between them, we're going to have, on average, more people who are close to the truth, and, and, and there is going to be less error, again, provided you don't increase bias. Now, there is another case, and the case of the students is that one, which is the case when we don't know the truth with a capital T and we can't know the truth. Which students are more capable of going to University X or more deserving of going to University X or more able to perform well if they go to University X? That is a judgment that we need to make, and that's the judgment that the admissions department of the, of the university must make. But it's not a predictive judgment. We can't say that after four years of college, we will know which judgments were right and which judgments were wrong. We will never know about the people we never took in. And we will, and, and, and a lot of things are going to happen that affect the outcome. So the problem there is not so much that we make an error and that we can reduce the error because we will never measure the error. The problem is one of fairness. If we, we, we may not know whether applicant A or applicant B is better, but if the answer that the university gives depends on the randomness of which admissions officer happens to look at their files, and hmm. the answer would have been completely different if the files had been switched, we have a problem. If we have two people who are facing judges and they have committed exactly the same crime, but some judges say they should go to jail for 15 days and others say they should go to jail for 15 years, we don't need to know what the true sentence is to know that we have a problem. This is a problem of injustice. Exactly. Justice sector reform. Right. It's yeah. not technically a problem of error. We can't say if the judge who says 15 days is wrong and the other one is right, or if it's the opposite, right? There is yeah. no truth there that we can compare it to. 
But exactly. if they have such a different read on the same facts, we know that there yeah. is something wrong with the system and that it creates a massive amount of injustice. So what would happen if we could reduce noise? A lot mm. less error and a lot less injustice. Mm, mm, mm. So I have a long question. Do you ever see a pitfall in quieting the noise, like in the sense that is it in our nature to differ from each other, each from ourselves on a day-to-day -day basis? Would we see negative effects if we took away what, what can cause noise, like, for example, empathy or feelings? Yani I'll give one example. Sometimes we judge a, a prison sentence based on feelings, and jurors can present this to a judge. If a juror feels strongly inside that, uh, inside them that someone deserves a second chance and shows this to the judge, which defers the sentence and affects it, is this always a bad thing? So is it in human nature that we're going to have different judgments? Yes, I think we've covered that. There are a lot of things that are in human nature that we do not regard as being desirable. Yes. So we, we should separate the question of whether it's natural, which it is, from the question of whether we have to deal with it. You know, there, there are a lot of natural instincts that over millennia of civilizations we have tried to um, adjust. And we argue that this is one of those things, that we should try to adjust uh, our level of noise. You're asking a great question about justice when you ask, uh, is it always bad that uh, a judge, for instance, is going to be able to show mercy uh, as you or, or clemency, as you show in this example? Yeah, maybe the bias is good, actually. Yeah. It's not a bias. It's not, well, it would be noise in, in, in the example you Noise. Get, Sorry. Some, yeah. some people would get clemency. Now, it's important to remember that if the bias is the same, right, if the, if the average sentence is the same, the case you're talking about where one person is going to benefit from mercy, from clemency, is going to be offset by one who arbitrarily gets punished more severely. Do we want that? If you know, we, we always take the example of the injustice that is going to go in the direction of clemency or the injustice that is going to benefit us, do we want the system mm. in which the privilege you mean the injustice and the privilege yeah yeah i mean a lot of people we we, we talk to uh, say but you know i want to be able to explain myself to a judge because i know that i'm going to be able to convince the judge that i'm a good person and the reason you are probably going to be able to convince the judge that you're a good person is because you are privileged in many ways and 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 capable of yeah pleading your case to a judge, influencing the judge in a way that is not accessible to other people. So what you're talking about here is bias. But if you're talking about the fact that some noise should be tolerated in a system, that is undoubtedly true, right? We, we would not want a system in which justice is completely mechanical and that is devoid of empathy. That is true also of how of people course. are hired by companies, of how they are evaluated in their jobs, of how every decision that is a judgment is taken, there is a value to human judgment. Now, when we discuss that value, we should be conscious of the trade-off that we're making, the price we're paying, the price we're paying for the empathy that you're talking about, for the ability of a judge to show clemency, for these things that we desire, the price we're paying is a lot of injustice. And we're not aware of it, but it's simply not possible to say that some people are going to benefit from clemency or mercy and other people mm. aren't, yeah, and yeah. to say that this is not unjust. Mm. Gotcha. Speaking of, there's a, a terminology that's used in the books called decision hygiene, which I call uh, information detox. Can yeah. you list the six components of decision hygiene in the book? Which one could an organization try to diminish noise uh, start with and how? How can we use it exactly? I'm, I'm not going to list all six because it would be a bit long and, and we only have sure. uh, a few minutes left. Sure, sure. But sure. Um, let me just, in, in brief, yeah. let me give one that I think is, is fairly universally applicable and, um, and that a lot of people can actually put in place. When you take multiple judgments of different people on the same problem, and you take the average of them, you mechanically reduce noise. That is something that organizations can fairly easily do on many problems. 
And in fact, they try to do it, but they do it wrong because there is a condition for this to work. And the condition is that these judgments made by different people should be independent of one another. Averaging will only reduce noise if the judgments that you average are made independently of each other. For instance, if you're trying to decide whether to hire someone and you have five people interviewing the candidates, the five people interviewing the candidates should see them separately, should not communicate about the candidates between the interviews, um, and should write down their opinions about the candidates in a fact-based and detailed and structured way before they start discussing them. If you do that and you take the average of those opinions, you will reduce noise. The problem is that most companies would in fact do it by getting into a room and starting a conversation about the candidates. And in fact, during the interview process, they typically would have spoken with each other and said, oh, you should really see this candidate. I found him very impressive. Or, yeah, you might want to see this candidate. I thought he wasn't great, but I'd like your opinion. So people will influence each other in all kinds of ways. People who are up in the hierarchy will, of course, influence others more than people who aren't, which is another uh, added problem. And for all those reasons, we are not getting the benefit of the multiple opinions that we can have because we're not keeping them independent. Work in teams, by all means, yeah. use diversity, absolutely, but make sure people keep their independence of mind before yeah. they exchange ideas. That will make things a lot better. Do you think, can anyone pay attention to the noise they put out into society? Well, again, as an individual, it's a bit yeah. difficult to, to pay attention to noise or even to measure noise because you you are not a noisy individual. Uh, we, are, we, we are individuals who make individual decisions. When we make them on behalf of a system, on behalf of an organization from which we expect some consistency, yeah. then there is noise. All right. Okay, Mr. Olivier, it was a really, truly eye-opening conversation. And thank you for joining us, Mr. Olivier. Thank you very much. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thanks for joining us and listening to Arif. Remember that you can make a difference in the world, even with small steps in the right direction. If you'd like to support the show, please leave a rating and a review. If you have a suggestion or a comment for future episodes, email me at abwer at warif.com. Until the next episode, have a good one.